Welcome to Dallas. We're a community of faith that embodies the love of Jesus for the good of our neighbor and renewal of our world. We're so glad you're listening. Hi everyone, my name is Andrew. I'm the student pastor here. If we haven't met or you don't know me, um, like Brad said, he's on a retreat right now. And so um, we've heard good things. He's, he's having a good time so far. <laughs> Um, so Brad has, we're in this series called The Most Exciting Idea on Earth, and Brad's been starting the, que- the message off with a question a lot of the time, so I figured I should probably do the same thing, right? Um, the, this one's more of not an experience, question, an experience question, but more of like um, an informational question. So what command shows up the most in the Bible? And bef- I'll give you a second to think about it. Um, before we answer, I want to tell a story. Actually, I, I want to finish a story um, that I had told. Uh, a couple months ago, I had given a message about the values of the 45, which is our student group. And one of them was that we don't run with the answers. We walk through the questions, meaning that we're not a group that if someone comes in with um, a hurt or you know, some sort of thought or doubt, that we just immediately rush to whatever we think should be the right thing to be said at that time. And to um, emphasize that point, I told a story about my friend, um, his name was Axel. So if you don't know um, the story that I told then, I'll recap a little bit. Axel was a friend that I had in high school. Um, We were both in a junior lunch because we had a junior math class as sophomores. I know, right? I'm just kidding. we, so we, had to, we sat in the lunchroom with a bunch of juniors, and naturally, you know, because we were the only sophomores, we sat together, right? And we had just kind of that basic, like, lunchroom friendship where you, you talk about, like, you know, I mean, we, it was pretty surface that we talked about sports. We talked about video games. You know, we talked about TV shows and other things like that most of the time. But there were a few times where the subject of faith came up and the subject of God came up. And I went to a private Catholic school, so it wasn't like this was some foreign, I'm not saying that everybody goes to Catholic school as a person of faith, but it wasn't some foreign thing like to just be brought up, you know. Um, and so when those conversations would come up, you know, we'd have some dialogue about it, but there was one, part- one conversation in particular that I remember. Axel, um, he was a little bit more overweight. Um, he was a linebacker, and he, you know, like he's, he's short, kind of overweight and had a really high-pitched voice, so he was just kind of like a natural target, unfortunately, for um, teasing and jokes and stuff like that. Um, and as far as I knew, it was just kind of the guy banter. I went to an all-boy Catholic school, so that, that kind of, we, you know, we were always, you know, punching and throwing jabs at each other. Um, but Axel, he told me, I remember this, he said, I don't believe in God because my life would not be the way it is if a God did exist, or if the God, at least, that we learn about in religion class existed. And I remember my, my answer, I'm pretty sure there was maybe like a second in between him saying that and me answering, I said, but there is a God and he does love you. And that was the end of the conversation. And, and that was the, the point I was trying to illustrate with um, not running with the answers, but walking through the questions that, you know, there, I could have probably asked another question or I could have dove into what he was talking about or why, you know, what's your picture of God? What's your picture of what like a good life looks like and things like that? And so for a good amount of my life, I just thought, you know, I made the wrong decision to in this interaction. Like I just, I didn't take the time to invest in the relationship or to ask questions. But as I got older, I had to ask myself, why? 
why didn't I take the time? And as I started to think about it, you know, thoughts started coming up. Well, you know, what if he responds poorly to me? What if, what if he's like, you know, I'm, I, I have my stance. Like, don't push your, you know, your stance on me. What if there was a junior, like the most popular junior that was sitting behind me and overheard me talking about Jesus and the love of God and all these different things? And, and what if that changed the perspective that the school, you know, like my friends had of me instead of being, you know, the state swimmer who was, you know, pretty funny and, you know, fun to hang out with. I would now be the church kid or the goody two shoes or something like that. Right. So these things started to flood up and I had to ask myself, OK, these are the things. Why? So. What do we do? What do I do? What do I learn from that? Okay, so back to the question. Anybody have any guesses? What is the most repeated command in the Bible? Love, okay. Okay, someone said something and then someone said something. Okay, so um, I think it was David that said, um, fear not. Do not be afraid, do not fear. Some variation of that is the most common command that occurs in the Bible, it occurs more than any of the Ten Commandments. It appears more than love your neighbor. It appears more than take care of the widows and the orphans. It appears more than love God. It appears almost over, actually over, 200 times in the Bible. The most repeated command in the Bible is do not be afraid or do not fear. And if you've been with Dulles Church for a little bit, you know that um, Brad has explained how repetition back in that day, in the, the day of the people who were writing um, the Bible, that repetition signaled importance. And so if this command is repeated over 200 times, then it must be pretty important for us as believers. So we're in this series called The Most Exciting Idea on Earth, and I'm just going to recap the past four weeks. I actually thought we were in the sixth week right now, but I was corrected. We're in the fifth week right now. Um, so the first week was that heaven isn't some far-off place that believers go to when they die. Heaven is actually a picture of what was once, what was once beautiful and perfect, but will once be again. That what Jesus is going to be um, heralding back. And so we are get to be a part of that. We get to be a part of that coming back of picture, the picture of heaven. Um, the way that we engage, this is week two, the way that we engage culture and the world is not based on an agenda to change people or to, to switch their opinions, but rather when we look at how Jesus engaged the world and his culture, he engaged it with love and desiring to know them and have a real solid relationship. The third week, we talked about how we are not um, building a community based on our likes, our dislikes, our preferences, our stances, moral, religious, whatever it is. We're building a community that's based on the good of our neighbor and the renewal of our world and how God's plan to, and his response to the ugly and the brokenness that we see in this world was not to turn away or to ignore it, but was to rescue it. And we're a part of that rescue plan. And then last week, um, we watched uh, Pastor Andy Stanley, and he gave a message about um, how Paul uses the parts of the human body to kind of describe what the church should look like. And so every part is important, every part is valuable, every part is necessary. And when the part is disconnected, it, become, it becomes rendered ineffective. And so he talked about being a part of the community. And so if you've continued to come and you've continued to watch or you've continued to listen, my assumption is that either you're on board with this most, most exciting idea on earth, or at the very least, you're interested in what we're talking about and what, what, what this, this new picture of what church should look like, this new and fresh picture. 
and I know that I have and maybe you have as well. Sometimes we've walked out of these doors and I've thought to myself, why aren't we doing this? And I'm not saying we, as in like Dulles Church, a lot of us do interact and engage this most exciting idea, but the church at large in the world, why aren't we doing this? Why aren't we being a part of the restoration of the healing? And why aren't we engaging pain? Why aren't we loving people better? And so we're not done with this series. Like Brad said, we're going to be going through it um, for the summer. But what I want to talk about today and the whole concept of fear, I believe, plays a detrimental role in whether or not we look, act, and sound like Jesus. So fear, as defined by the dictionary, is an unpleasant emotion caused by the belief that someone or something is dangerous, likely to cause pain, or a threat. So we're going to go into a little science class here. Fear is an emotion, and it is produced by a small part of our brain about the size of an almond or maybe two almonds called the amygdala. Now, what the amygdala does is it observes what's going on in front of you, and based on what is going on in front of you, it will either send a fear emotion or it won't act up at all. When something is flying at your face, a baseball, and you instinctively put your hands up or you duck, that's your amygdala at work. Something's flying at your face, there's an immediate danger, you need to do something to avoid it or to block it, get rid of it. If you, are, um, if you see a poisonous snake lurching back at your ankle, you step away, right? That's your amygdala at work. Actually, Brad was talking about, um, he was texting um, his family about how he had a stand down with um, a buffalo in Montana. It was like super close and it was just like kind of staring at them. Brad's instinct was not to, hey, buddy, come here. No, his instinct and his friend's instinct were like, how do we get out of here? How, what's the best way? We don't run. We walk, like we have to hide behind. That's your amygdala at work. It's producing the fear emotion telling you to get out. The amygdala is responsible for fight or flight, that whole concept. That's one of the things it's most famous for. So the amygdala is a good thing, right? There are four elements that trigger fear. Change, attention, uncertainty, and struggle. So the idea is if any of these are present, fear is likely to be present as well. Fear has an open door to be present. And in the cases of fight or flight, this makes sense, right? Um, Jesse and I, we uh, went to Nicaragua a couple years ago, and we had an opportunity to go cliff diving or jumping off a cliff. That sounds intense, but you couldn't see what was beneath the water. And I'm telling you, when you walked up there, and even though it's only like 20, 25 feet up, there's a little bit of like, I don't think I should jump off. My amygdala is saying, you don't know what's under there. There could be a huge rock. Of course, people had jumped off before, and we'd seen them jump off, so we knew it was safe. But if it was my first time, and I looked down, I probably wouldn't jump off because I don't know what's underneath the water. That's uncertainty. That's uncertainty playing a role, and the amygdala is saying, "Ah, don't, don't do that. If you're at a gas station, and a robber came in, and his attention or her attention was focused on the cashier and the money, and you're standing there because, in, and you're, you're laying on the floor because I told everybody to get on the floor, your amygdala is saying, and you're saying, don't stand up, don't try to like do anything because that's going to bring the attention off of what the robber is occupied with and on to you. Getting into a relationship, getting married, means that you have to change some ways that you live your life. You have to change the way that you think about yourself and the world, that's why there's the fear involved, because there's change, that little presence of change. If finances are low on a certain month, 
and you're going by a store and they're having this huge sale and you walk in and you put some things in your cart and as you're going to the checkout, you realize, oh wait, this might cause me to struggle in some other areas of my life. In fact, you may not know it, but your amygdala is at play right there. Producing a fear motion to say, no, don't buy that because you're gonna, have, you're gonna struggle later on. You already know finances are low. And if, if, if not most in all of these situations, your amygdala is having a conversation. You're having an internal dialogue with yourself, and you've probably done it with yourself before too. We often see it as weighing out the pros and cons of a situation, but that's really your amygdala having a conversation with yourself. Like, should I jump off? No, you don't know what's below it, but Andrew, like you may never get this opportunity to do it again. You're right, maybe I should jump off. Yeah, but then like you could also die and then never jump off anything ever again. You have an internal dialogue with yourself. And because one of those four elements is present, the door for fear is opened and it's standing at the door and it's having the conversation. You're having the conversation with fear. Because if anyone expressed fear in any of the situations that I just talked about, about the robber, about finances, about getting married, no one would say, you're scared of that? Like, that's a fear that you have, getting in a relationship? We would say, yeah, that, that's, that's perfectly understandable. But unfortunately, our amygdala has a little glitch. You see, those four elements are often present in actual situations where we should be responding either in fight or flight or we should be responding to the fear emotion, but they are also present in everyday life situations. I'll give you an example. Jesse and I are expecting our first baby boy in October, at the end of October, and so in the first trimester, um, if you've been pregnant or you, know, you're, you guys have a kid you know in the first trimester, there were certain aversions and attractions to different kinds of food. And that made you know, grocery shopping kind of hard. But what, hap- what would happen is I knew that there was chicken, rice, and vegetables inside the fridge. And I would say, hey, babe, chicken, rice, and vegetables, okay? And for dinner, and she'd say, oh, really craving pasta. And in that moment, I have two decisions. My first decision, or my first choice, is I can put my shoes on, I can grab my wallet, get my keys, walk downstairs, get in my car, drive to Harris Teeter, walk around the aisles, get the pasta, get the meat, get the sauce, any spices, stand in the the self-checkout line that's always like a mile long down the aisle 13, check out, spend the money, go back to my car, get in the car, drive back, and then not only that, then I have to boil the pasta, then I have to make the meat, and then finally, maybe an hour or two later, I can deliver her her pasta that she wanted. Or my second decision, I can call Ciro's, it's right next door, and say, hey, I'd like a number four, please, 15 minutes. All right, drive over there, five-minute drive, 15 minutes, pick it up. Jesse gets a meal that's made well, that tastes good. I, my cooking tastes good. I'm not saying that you know, mine wouldn't, but... And so in that moment when I'm having those two decisions, my amygdala is having a conversation. Do you really want to struggle to have to like go to the grocery store and then make everything? You could have the instant, like you did, the Ciro's is right there. You know, like you could just, you could just call him. And then my hand does this weird thing where I pick up my phone, I call Ciro's, and then I dial the number and I get her the food. 
Now, I would never say, if someone asked me, like, the day after, like, what'd you guys have for dinner? And I said, oh, we had Ciro's. And they said, oh, okay. I would never say, yeah, I, I made that decision out of fear. I was pretty scared, like, and that's why I didn't choose to make the pasta myself. That's why I chose to just buy the pasta. It sounds ridiculous, right? Like, to say, like, you were afraid, so that's why you picked the easier option. But that's the amygdala at play. That's, that's where it is in our in our everyday life situation. You, you don't e- we don't even know sometimes that it's happening, but we are having a fear conversation. But not only are these four elements present in almost all, a lot of our life situations, it's almost always present in challenging situations, situations that would challenge you, situations that would allow you to get out of your comfort zone, that would call you to something more, that would call you to sacrifice something. See, the amygdala sees the world in black and white. It can't distinguish what's between a good challenge and a bad challenge, a good risk and a bad risk. All it knows is you need to get out. You need to not. You need to stop. So the first problem with our amygdala is that this glitch in our amygdala produces a fight-or-flight fear in situations that are not life or death. It produces the same kind of fear as if when you were standing on the edge of a cliff and not wanting to jump off, you are getting the same emotion produced when it's don't go to, don't, don't eat out, like go to the grocery store, you know, it's better for you kind of thing like that. And as exciting as these ideas that we've been talking about are, most if not all of them require us to step out of our comfort zone. The past five weeks or the past four weeks that we've talked about this, these are not things that just come like naturally to us. It will require us to take some steps that are out of our comfort zone. Committing to show up in person and at church and be in the community, that requires you to have to change your schedule, change your rhythm of life. If you haven't come back, if you're listening on our podcast right now and you haven't come back to church, it will require you to change your schedule. You will have to get the kids up 30 minutes earlier and you will have to get them dressed and you will have to make breakfast and you will have to you know, get dressed and you know, get yourself ready and you will have to drive to Light Ridge High School. And that change right there, just because that change is present, you have the opportunity to respond in fear. When you're in a group of people who are gossiping about someone else and think back to the you think back to the weeks of the most exciting idea on earth and loving people, and you think, I should stand up for this person. Fear plays a role. The amygdala says, eh, but if you stand up for them, the attention is taken off of the person they're gossiping about, and now it's on you. And what are they going to say about you behind their back, behind your back? Are they going to talk about how you are not part of that group, how you're not cool, or how don't have this kind of conversation around X, Y, Z? That attention opens the door for fear. Choosing to get to know someone who has opposing moral, religious, or spiritual views than you. Having a conversation about, there's so many things going on in our world right now that we should be having conversations with our friends and our families and our colleagues about, not in a way, like we said, to change, but to get to know and to have dialogue about. But there's an uncertainty about how that person's going to respond to you. When you bring up hey, what are, what are your thoughts on abortion? Why, why do you believe what you believe about, about gun control? What, what is it about President Biden's decision that you, know, you feel so strongly about? There's an uncertainty on how they're going to respond. 
and what they're going to think of you afterwards. So fear has an open door. Being generous with your time and your resources, either serving on a team or giving, like Brad talked about, it might cause you to struggle in certain areas of your life. You may have to give up the Netflix subscription. You may have to not have Starbucks every single day. You may have to get up earlier in order to get here earlier to be on a team. You may have to, during your just regular weekday, weekday night, you may have to meet with some other people. Take time out of your schedule there. Those struggles allow the door for fear to be open. In all those moments, your brain is producing the same fear as if a baseball was flying at your face. It's producing that same emotion. And right now you're probably thinking like, maybe some of you have been like really scared before and you're thinking like, I don't, I don't feel that same emotion. And, and, I'll, and I'll tell I, I've been I've been really scared before too. I got in trouble one time. I was trespassing on private property. This was not recent. This was like years ago, okay? Just, just for the record. I was trespassing on private property and um, the place that we were at, it was abandoned hospital, place where we were at, um, the police also got a tip that there was a drug deal going down in that same place. And so it started raining and we were on the roof so we all started running down and we hear other voices, we're freaking out, what the heck is going on? We're running down and we run out into like the empty parking lot but there's some cars that are just kind of like there and we're running, it's pouring rain and all of a sudden floodlights just like lights turn on and we hear Miami-Dade police get on the ground. So we drop to the ground and the guy is yelling lots of profanity. If you make one move, we'll shoot you, like kind of thing like that. Very threatening. I thought I might die that day. <laughs> or at the very least, I was going to go to jail, like, or something like that. And I remember that feeling. Like, my heart is starting to race right now thinking about that specific situation where fear was very, very real in that moment. Now, that wasn't the glitch. That wasn't the glitch fear. That was the real fear. But just because it's the real fear doesn't mean that it's not as powerful as the glitch fear. Problem number two with the glitch is it transforms our response to fear into instinct. A lot of us have, our, I'm, I'm looking around the room, probably average age is like 30, 30-ish, between 30 and 40 here. So we have gone through certain life stages. We've gone through certain things and we have already responded to fear in a certain way for a long time in our lives. You don't have to think twice if a car is about to hit you, you jump out of the way, or a baseball is at your face, right? That becomes instinct. But the longer we respond to certain situations in fear, it becomes more instinctual. And I'll give you an example, or take you back to the example of Jesse and I eating out. Slowly, I had that conversation in my head, you know, the dialogue about like, I have to go to the grocery store, I have to buy everything, I have to make it, things like that, or I could just call. And then the next day, it was, hey, babe, you know, is chicken and rice okay? And she would say, oh, I'm craving Italian, you know, or, and then the next day, I'm craving like Greek. I'm, I'm, I, I don't know if she ever did, but I'm just making stuff up right now. But she would talk about different things that she, she would be craving. And long, the longer this went on, the shorter the dialogue in my head became. I, I stopped thinking to myself, I stopped doing that pros and cons thing. Eventually, it got to a point where I wasn't asking Jesse, hey, is chicken and rice okay? I was asking her at dinner time, hey, where do you want me to go get food from? Because it became instinct. And that instinct is just as powerful 
as the fight or flight instinct to block a baseball or to lurch away from a snake. That power remains the same. Brad talked about four ways that we can engage as, as, as um, four ways that we can engage this most exciting idea on earth. And we um, have kind of repeated them. And the first time you heard it, the first time you, like the first message we said it, let's take the first one for example, make Sunday mornings a priority. The first time you heard it, if you hadn't been coming, you may have thought to yourself, oh yeah, I sh- yeah, it's about time. I should probably go back to church. But then the other side said, yeah, but then you have to like get out of your bed. You may not be able to like make the breakfast that you want. It may have to be cereal or something quick. And then you have to drive. Like think about the gas prices, man. Like, you know, you, you really want to do all that. And you have the conversation in your head and you decide, yeah, you know what? Let's just stay home this Sunday. Let's watch, let's watch church online this Sunday. And then the next week comes around and you hear it again. Make Sunday mornings a priority in church. And then you have that same dialogue, but it's a little bit shorter. And then the third week rolls around, and you hear it again. Make Sunday mornings a priority. And then the dialogue gets a little bit shorter. To the point now, we're five weeks in, when you hear, make Sunday mornings a priority, the showing up, you may not even have a dialogue anymore because it's turned into instinct to just not to just respond in a way of saying, I don't want that change of schedule. I don't want to struggle to have to like drive all the way to Lightridge. Giving financially or serving on a team, same thing. You may have had that dialogue in your head the first time, like, oh, they're asking people to serve. I'm pretty good with computers. I think I could do that. I wonder what that entails, you know? And then maybe you have a conversation with someone, hey, I'd like to serve on the production team. Yeah, you know, like you'd serve maybe once a week. It's like, oh, man, once a week, I'd have to get up earlier. And you decide, I'll, I'll, I'll do it another time. And then the dialogue gets shorter and shorter and shorter to the point where when you hear give, generously serve on a team, instinctually, you're like, no. <laughs> because I've gone through the process of having the dialogue, and it doesn't look good for me. Joining, um, joining a group in general, we talked about um, the Alice of the Heart group specifically for this series. There's uncertainty. You probably had a dialogue with the group. What if I have nothing to say? What, what if I say the wrong thing? What if people don't like me? What if I don't fit in? And then the dialogue gets shorter and shorter and shorter to the point where when someone says, hey, you should join a group, you're just like, no. And maybe you don't say no like that so you know, confidently, but in your mind, you've already decided you're not going to do it. Instinctually, it's already happened. So change attention, uncertainty, struggle. What do we do then? What do we now do knowing that we may be responding to things in fear that we didn't know we were? And when we respond to things in fear, it is more powerful and it becomes more instinctual than almost anything else that that we could. Aside from like just the natural things that we do in life, like breathing, how you don't have to think about breathing. This may be like the second or third most powerful emotion that causes you to just react in a certain way without even thinking. So what do you do? Change, uncer- change attention, uncertainty, and struggle. Um, I'm missing the E, but you get the picture. C-A-U-S. What is the cause? What is the cause of what I'm thinking about right now? So we've talked about now, Brad has talked about 
um, making Sunday mornings priority. So obviously for you in here, if this is your first time back and you're beginning to make that a priority, next week you're going to have an internal dialogue about whether or not you should show up. Think about what the cause is. Is it as fear is designed or fear is defined in the dictionary as something that is going to threaten, is, if it's going to hurt you, if it's going to maim you, or is this the glitch? Is this the fear glitch that's working and causing me to respond this way? Those of you who are listening on our podcast or if you're watching online and you haven't made it back yet, I encourage you, rehab that dialogue. Rehab that dialogue with fear. Ask yourself, what is the cause of why I'm not doing or why I am doing what I'm doing? The way we beat this is we meet fear at the door. When any of those situations are present, we meet fear at the door. And we don't let fear in. We have the conversation like, well, why are you here? Am I in danger right now? Is this really going to hurt me? Is this going to like just completely destroy my world? No? Okay. Well, thank you for your information. And you shut the door and you make the decision. I truly do believe that God knew that this glitch would be a problem for us. We see it actually in the first interaction ever in the garden when we were talking about um, Adam and Eve. After Adam and Eve had eaten the apple, God says, hey, where are you? And Adam says, I hid because I was afraid. He had no reason necessarily to be afraid, but I think it's the glitch that kicked in all of a sudden that allowed fear to play a role that it wasn't meant to play. And I believe that fear is what's going to kill the church. If there's anything that will take down the church or be the biggest obstacle, it's going to be fear. And I'm not talking about real fear. I'm talking about the glitch fear. And if we continue to give into this glitch... If we continue to respond to the fear glitch, this most exciting idea on earth is going to stay just that. It's going to stay an idea. It's going to stay a really good idea, but it'll never become a reality. And part of what we're trying to do here at Dulles Church is make this most exciting idea become a reality. And in order to do this, we have to fight the glitch. We have to fight fear. We have to understand that it's not true fear that we are listening to. It's the glitch in our head. We have to fight for the good of our neighbor. We have to fight for the renewal of our world. We have to fight for the hard decisions of being here, of giving, of serving, joining a group, of loving a coworker who you know has opposing views. You have to fight there. That's where you have to choose to fight. And I truly believe when we do, when we have this discussion in our head, we ask ourselves, what's the cause? We will often find that there's nothing to be afraid of. There's absolutely nothing to be afraid of. Nothing that as fear would be defined. Nothing that's going to hurt you. Nothing is going to harm you. It's not going to take your life away. And when we do that, that's when I believe that the most exciting idea on earth will become a reality. Jesus, thank you for your, your love. When we are responding poorly to situations, when we are giving into, when we're giving into this fear glitch, help us to be strong and analyze truly what's going on and what the situation at hand is 
so that we can be a part of true change and true renewal. We can create true relationships that fear would not stand in our way as an obstacle, but that we would push forward and we would continue to strive for the good, for the perfect and the lovely that you desire for us and for those around us. We love you, amen.